Hey, today's the last sermon in our series on what every Christian needs to do. There's, there's a lot of things that God wants to do in our lives and pour in us, but we've just tried to get some of the main basics that we've covered some of these topics. And today we're talking about that every Christian needs to share the love of God. You know, when we begin to think about this task that God has called us to, it's all throughout the New Testament. It's throughout the Old Testament as well. You know that the Bible talks about the nation of Israel, that God called them to be a light to the Gentiles. Even in the Old Testament, God was concerned about the evangelism of others. Jonah, the Old Testament prophet, God sent him to the Gentile nation of Assyria, to the capital city of Nineveh, to go and to preach. And when they repented, God, God forgave them and he withdrew his wrath from them. And then in the New Testament, we see Jesus talking about that we're to be light, we're to be salt. Light gives light and darkness, salt gives taste in a bland world. All these are images talking about how we are supposed to influence those around us. And the concept that we begin to understand as we look at all these passages throughout the New and the Old Testament is that God intends that whatever space we occupy, whether that's home or neighborhood, our school, our job, whatever space we occupy ought to be different because we're there. The way that we live, the things that we do, the things that we think, and the things that we say should be an influence on other people, showing them what it means to experience the love of God. There are many passages that talks about us being witnesses and, and going out and compelling people to come in. And often we think about a, a, a sermon about sharing our faith. We often think about some of these passages, these passages that call us to go to this task. But I thought about, as I reflected on this morning, I decided to, to instead focus on what it is that we have to share. And so today I want to share with you from John chapter 3, verse 16. It's one of the most well-loved and well-known verses in all the Bible. And perhaps for good reason, in this one verse that encapsulates the message about the love of God, how he displayed it for us, and how we receive his love. And friend, this is the message that you and I have to share. When we begin to think about sharing with other people, I, I know that uh, th this is not a popular subject. Uh, for some of you, you're trying to decide whether you hate last week's message or this week's worse. Uh, that's, that's just the reality. Which is worse, having to tithe or having to tell somebody about God? But you know, I've noticed that we, we don't struggle with talking about anything else. Did you anybody see that basketball game yesterday? I didn't catch the score. What was the score? What was the, anybody? No, you don't know either, huh? If y'all want me to quit aggravating you about Kentucky basketball, just quit telling me the score because I, I don't know until y'all tell me. I don't pay any attention to it at all. Uh, we don't have any trouble talking about that, do we? We wear blue everywhere we go. We'll talk about it. We don't have any trouble talking about politics. If you want to get something started on Facebook, just make a little statement. It doesn't matter what it's about in any way. Just make a tiny little statement halfway related to politics. You'll get something started. We don't have trouble talking about all these different things. And yet the love of God is the most powerful thing we'll ever experience. It's the most important thing we'll ever experience because it's the only hope that we have receiving the promise of heaven. And God, he may call us to personally receive it. And so in that sense, it, it is very personal. But it's, just, it's not private. God wants us to share it with other people so that they might know the reason for the hope that we have the reason that we have hope is because God is loving and God is gracious and God is merciful. And God loved us so much that he sent his only son to die for us 
that when we believe and trust in him, that we have the gift of eternal life. So John chapter 3, verse 16 is our passage today. Would you join me in standing as we read this, this powerful verse? John chapter 3, verse 16, here's what the Bible says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd give us insight today to understand this verse, like for some of us, maybe like never before. Lord, I pray that we would not only just get an intellectual understanding of the content, but God, I pray that we would be driven to live by this verse. Father, I pray if there's a person here that's never understood it and never received your gift of eternal life, I pray that today before this service ends, that they'll call out to you in prayer and be saved. For those of us that have passed from death to life and from darkness into light, Father, help us to shine so that other people might come to faith in you. For it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it's a, it's a small verse, but yet there's, there's just there's so much packed into this one verse about God's love and what it means for us. I want you to notice what it says, first of all. It says, for God so loved the world. You see, it is, it is God who loves us. When we begin to think about our hope in this world, who is it that can save us? Well, it's, it's God. Many people in this world worship many things, but they do not worship God. At least not the God who created heaven and earth, the only God that there is. Jeremiah chapter 16, verses 20 through 21 says, Can man make for himself gods? Well, he, he, he can try, and, and man always has, and the same thing is taking place today. Can man make for himself gods? Such are not gods. Therefore, behold, I will make them know this once. I will make them know my power and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. Well, there's one God, and he has revealed himself, and in this passage he mentions his name, and he talks about that in ancient Israel people were, were carving idols out of uh, uh, stone and metal and wood, and people were producing these different idols, and they were, they were worshiping them. They'd been led astray by the practices of other nations. And instead of being a light to the Gentiles, the Gentiles were being a darkness to Israel. And so Jeremiah, the prophet of God, calls him out, and he says, Can man make for himself gods? Such are not gods. The same thing's going on around the world today. People have idols. And when we were in Thailand, we went into several different temples and saw people worshiping idols. It's taking place around the world today. But in America, it's, we just have a more subtle, sophisticated form of idolatry. We don't carve images and, and make statues, but instead we elevate things above God, and oftentimes the things that we elevate is ourselves, as we value our own opinion and ideas above the very word of God that he's revealed to us. And so it's, it's God. It's God who loved us. And it's important that we understand who he is. For we don't, we don't create God, we, we discover God. God has revealed himself, and he's revealed himself by his name. In Revelation chapter 9, verse 20, it talks about the, the final times. And it says, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood 
which cannot see or hear or walk. Sometimes people will say, well, you know, Pastor, there's, there's nothing to that. Well, there is something to that. The Bible talks about that the power behind many of these idols and these false gods are actually demons. There, there is a power. It's just a dark power. It's a power in rebellion against God. These spirits that people worship are real, but they are, they are, Bible teaches us they're demons. That is, they're angels that God created that rebelled against God with Satan. And so when we begin to ask ourselves, well, who it is that we worship, who it is that gives us hope, it's, it's God. It's the God that revealed himself, the only God that there is. Isaiah 45, 5, this is what he says. He says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. So what does all that have to do with, with, with uh, John three sixteen? Well, the Bible says, for God so loved the world and we have to understand who God is and many people today uh, worship all kinds of false gods and some people today want to say well you know it doesn't matter what religion that you are we're all worshiping the same God well unless your God's name is is Yahweh unless your God is the one who created in heaven and earth unless your God is the one who sent his son to die for us then, then no we're not worshiping the same God and so the Bible says for God so loved the world it was God God who loves us. And friend, it was not us who loved God. If you're in pursuit of God, it's only because he was first in pursuit of you and drew you unto himself. It was God who loves us. The Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it's in this way that God demonstrated his love toward us. It is God who loves us. But I want you to notice that he loves us with a selfless love. It says, for God so loved the world so loved. That word so emphasizes the extent of God's love. There are different ways in which you can love, and there are different extents to which you can love. But God loved us so much that he sent his only son to die for us. It was a selfless love that God had for us. And this is the message that we have for the world. It's a message for us, and it's a message for everyone, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. There are different words in the Bible for love. In, in the English, we just use the same word all the time. We say, I love my dog, I love my job, I love my wife. Same word. In the Bible, they have different words to distinguish different types of love. There's brotherly and sisterly love, and then there's romantic love, and then there's, there's passion. There, there's all these different ways in which we can love. But friend, the way that God loved us, he loved us with an absolute self-sacrificial love. He loved us to the extent that he was willing to give his only son to die for us. This is the extent of God's love for you. God didn't love you just a little. He loved you a tremendous amount for God so loved the world. It's the extent of God's love. It's absolutely amazing. First John 4, 8 says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God not only loves, but God loves so much and to such an extent that his very nature encapsulates what it means to love. If we want to know what it is to love, we look at God's selfless love. His selfless love that he went to such lengths, to such extents that he sent his son to die for us that we might be saved. For God so loved the world. 
Psalm 103, 11 through 13 emphasizes the extent of God's love. For it says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And as a father shows compassion for his children, so the Lord shows compassion for those who fear him. The, the, the Bible uses these images as high as the heavens are above the earth, as far as the east is from the west. All of these things emphasize that God's love, compassion, and mercy are without end. They are as eternal as time. God loved us so much that he sent his only son to die for us. This is the extent of God's love. If we want to know what love is, we look at God, for God is love. And my friends, if you want to be loved, turn to God. God loves you more than you can understand. If we want to learn to love, let us look at God, for he is love. The Bible says that God loves the world. Look at verse 16. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I want you to notice this, the, the, the object of God's love. It says, for God so loved the world, the world. It's hard to comprehend how God would love the world. You ever read the news and see what's happening in different places or maybe in your own community and just have disgust? I see stories about children being abused. I see people around the world who are absolutely ruthless and vicious dictators. But the Bible says, for God so loved the world. It's all inclusive. This is why I believe that everybody can be saved. Because God's love extends to the entire world. John 3, 6, 17, it's the very next verse. And this is what it says about God's purpose. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So many people think that the church preaches a message of condemnation, and perhaps there have been those at times that have just misunderstood the message and only presented the righteousness and the wrath of God without presenting the love of God. But our message... Our message is not one of condemnation. Our message of, is one of salvation. God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Listen to what it says. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. And here's what he says. Here's why God has not yet intervened in the world. Not wishing that any should perish. You hear what that says? Not wishing that any should perish. It's not God's will that anybody should go to hell. It's not God's will that anybody should perish. But this is his will, but that all should reach repentance. They won't all reach repentance because not all will embrace the love of God. But that's God's desire and his hope. For God so loved the world, not, not the nice people, not, not the good people, 
But God shall love the world. In 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6, it says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom. And listen to this. A ransom for all. A ransom for all. Not a ransom for some. Not a ransom for Americans. Not a ransom for decent people. A ransom for all which is a testimony given at the proper time. So the love of God extends to the, to the world. For God so loved the world. And people who misunderstand us and others who don't misunderstand us but simply want to misrepresent us will say that we preach a message of hate and discrimination. But friend, nothing could be farther from the truth. We preach a message that God sent his son so that every person in the world, regardless of where they were born, what they have, or what they've done, could be saved if they'll come to faith through him. For God so loved the world, the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You see, God gave his only son because you and I had a problem that we could not solve. And herein lies the part of the message that people hate that you and I have a need and that in order for it to be solved, we must come in faith and change. Romans 3.23 talks about the need that we have. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Christian message, the thing that the Bible teaches us all throughout the New Testament is that at the foot of the cross, it's completely level. We all stand the same. We all stand before God, having sinned against him. Every single one of us. We have different details. We have different particulars. We have different weaknesses. We have sinned in different ways. But friend, we all stand before God, sinners in need of forgiveness. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Just as God's provision was all-inclusive, a ransom for all, that all should reach repentance. For God so loved the world, all those things, all-inclusive, so is our problem. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's not that some have sinned, but all have sinned. And listen to what the Bible says, verse 24. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. What this passage tells us is that there came a time when God fulfilled his plan, his plan to save us by sending his son and Jesus died offering a sacrifice for our sins. And if we believe and receive this, then we can be saved. Romans 3 verses 10 through 18. The passage just before the passage that we just read. Listen to what it says. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless, no one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. The Bible describes in this passage, this is the Romans quoting the Old Testament, talking about the condition 
of the heart prior to receiving the grace of God. Every single one of us had a time in our life that we desperately needed God. We didn't fully understand. We weren't seeking him, but he was seeking us. And the reason that so many people today feel like they have no problem and there's nothing wrong with them and they're excellent people is because they compare themselves with other people. And I don't care how bad you are, you can find somebody else that's worse and you can make yourself feel better by comparing yourself with them. But the Bible teaches us that the standard is not the behavior of others, but the standard is the nature of God. It's not that we fell short of the glory of our neighbor. The problem is that we fell short of the glory of God. And that's why God sent his son, because we have this problem. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The reason that God gave his son is so that it could be a sacrifice for our sin. John 129 describes John the Baptist when he saw Jesus. And it says, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came so that people could be saved. He came to give his life a sacrifice so that those of us that have nothing to offer to pay for our sin, he could be our offering for us. We receive this gift by believing in him. Notice what it says again in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The Bible says whoever believes in him. Believing in Christ means trusting in him. It's not believing about him that saves you. It's believing in him. The demons believe about him, but God is calling us to believe in him. He's calling us to put our absolute and total trust in Jesus Christ. I don't know if you fly very often. Um, I flew several times last year. And, and you know what happens when you get on the plane? I, I don't know about you, but uh, there's, there's no controls in my seat. None. And, and now, since 9-11, they seal the cockpit door. You can't get in there. You know, in the past, you could go up there, I guess, and straighten out the pilot, but you can't do that anymore. You, you get on that plane, and, and you're just completely at the pilot's mercy. If he slept through a test, it's too late now to do anything about it. If he's on a suicide mission, you can't stop him. You see, you go and you get on that plane and you put your fate in the hands of that pilot. He's the only one in control of that plane. And you just hope that he's going to take off, he's going to fly well, and he's going to land. You see, there's been many times I went up to Evansville to meet our friends and I sit there in that, that area. They've got all those rocking chairs out before the windows. And you can watch the planes take off and you can watch the planes come in. And as long as you're sitting there watching the planes, number one, you're not going anywhere. Number two, you've risked nothing. The only way to change your destination is to go get on the plane and put your life in the hands of the pilot. And friend, this is what it means to believe in Christ. It means that we stop standing back and watching and saying that we believe about him. And instead, we come to the point that we say that we believe and trust in him. You see, my entire hope of eternity 
is based upon receiving the promises that he has made. When I stand before God someday, if I find out that you need something other than the forgiveness provided through Jesus Christ to get into heaven, I am not going to get in. I don't have a backup plan. I'm not trusting in anything else. That's what it means to believe in Christ. It means to put your faith and your hope in him. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's the gift that God offers, eternal life. Should not perish means that, well, it means that we are perishing without Christ. Jesus told the story about two men who died. The story goes like this. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died. And listen what happened. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Notice there are no angels. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in this flame. You notice that their fortunes are now reversed. It is the rich man who now longs for a little bit of relief but does not receive it. But Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime received your good things. And Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to there may not be able and none may cross from there to us. Notice that having passed out of this life, their fate is sealed for all eternity. There is no passing between heaven and hell. Verse 27. And he said, then I beg you, Father, Descend into my father's house. For I have five brothers. So Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Moses and the prophets had been dead for years. But he meant the writings. They have the Bible. Let them hear the Bible. Verse 30. And he said, no, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. So the rich man says, well, they're not going to believe the Bible. I didn't believe the Bible. But if they saw somebody come back from the dead, they would repent. Verse 31, he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life this is the promise that we have it's the hope of escaping the fate of the rich man that jesus described 
The rich man who would not believe the message, who would not believe the scriptures. And he thought, well, if only if his brothers could see somebody rise from the dead. But Jesus reveals that the problem is not in the message. The problem is not in the conveyance of the message. The problem is in the reception of the heart. And people that won't believe the Bible won't believe if someone comes back from the dead either. And so you and I have to come to the point in our life where we know for sure that we believed and trusted in Christ. And when we believe and trust in him, we receive eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is the message that God has given us. And this is the message that God has called us to share. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you made it possible for us to receive eternal life. And Lord, I pray today, if there's any person that's understood this for the first time or come to believe it, Lord, I pray today, while they still can, they would call out to you in prayer and be saved. Father, for those of us who have been transformed, help us to be bold, help us to be faithful. Lord, help us to be consistent as we share with those around us. For it's in Christ that we pray. Amen. Well, just as I've explained today in this message, friend, all of us have the same problem, and there's only one solution to our problem. The Bible says there's only one way to God, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if there's never come a time in your life that you've confessed to God, that you know that you've sinned against him and asked for his forgiveness, I want to encourage you to do that right now. When we begin singing, would you just pray and talk to God? If you need somebody to pray with you, that's why I'll be standing here at the front. I would love to pray with you and help you make that decision. For those of us that have this message, it's too good to keep it to ourselves. God has called us to share this message with others that people might be changed around us. So friend, whatever you need to do to be a bold, faithful witness for Christ, let's do it now as we sing. Let's stand together.